All right. Well, what a fantastic crowd of people for school holidays. Not just school holidays, but the time between Christmas and New Year, which is always a bit of a lull. I don't think we've had a crowd as big as this in that time. So that's great. Fantastic. Let's double it next week because I'm preaching next week as well. (laughs) Hey, tonight I want to talk about um, getting back to basics. Have you ever heard that term before? Someone says, you know, you've got to get back to basics. You've got to get back to Gee, that was pretty pathetic. I reckon the group in the middle could do better than that. You've got to get back to. And everyone together, got to get back to. Beautiful. Now I'm sure you're all awake. If you Googled that exact phrase, get back to basics, it will bring up about 98 million hits. So that tells you that 98 million times someone on the internet has said something about getting back to the basics. Now, that's got to give you an indication of how important that is in people's hearts and minds. Isn't that right? The phrase is common because it's actually based on a principle that we all understand and it applies to every stage of life. No matter where we are, We're always saying we're going to get back to basics. You know, I think we've become very soft in 2019 and 2020. And I want to ask you this question. If you were stuck in the middle of the Simpson Desert and your car is broken down and you're running out of water and food, would you care what the internet speed was? Would you care what's on TV? (laughs) Who said yes? (laughs) I got to tell you that you'd be more worried about staying alive. And that's a good example of getting back to the basics. And we're going to apply that tonight to the Christian life, to living for Jesus. I have seen people lose direction, I've seen them lose focus. And it's time for us as Christians, especially coming into this new year, to really get back to what's important in our lives. I've seen it happen in churches, ministries, businesses, families, marriages. People come to the realisation that there's been a very subtle shift. The Bible says that Satan moves around like a roaring lion. But you know, it also says that sometimes he comes as an angel of light. Sometimes he might come and it's the smallest compromise, the smallest, you don't need to worry about going to church or you don't worry need to worry about giving and all of that sort of stuff. And all of a sudden, you wake up one morning and there's all of those little things together has created a big shift, created a massive rift between you and God. I've also seen it happen with individual believers. When their lives become so cluttered and chaotic and consumed with non-essential activities, and the result is they begin to drift spiritually, spinning their wheels and losing ground. You know what it's like? I don't know about you, but 
It's a blessing that when I was 17 and I got my first car, which was a Morris Minor, it had a motor about as powerful as a sewing machine. And I used to drive it to the Gold Coast to go surfing when I grew up in Brisbane. And it was a power machine. It used to get to 50 miles an hour going down a really long, steep hill in neutral. In fact, if you put it in gear, it'd slow it up. It used to roll faster than a drive at top speed. But I remember a very proud moment when I actually got one wheel to spin on the grass. And I remember turning like maybe you kids, boys especially don't listen to this, turning the steering wheel and absolutely flooring it. And one wheel only was spinning on the grass. And I felt like, yes, I've spun my wheels. I'm a real man. But you know what? It's entirely possible to spin your wheels and actually lose ground. And I think as Christians, when we get into a rut, we can be spinning our wheels and you can feel like the motor's revving, revving, but you're getting nowhere. And that's really what we're talking about tonight, getting back to the basics. Do we need to reignite our passion? Do we need to reclaim the purpose that God has placed on our life? You know what? I can tell you as long as I've ever been a Christian, there are times, all the time, when you need to refocus, when you need to rehand your life over to God. Does that mean you're becoming a Christian again? No. But it means that you're coming to the foot of the cross and saying, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief and focus me on your word. Maybe you're hearing tonight these principles for the very first time. Some of you have heard them many, many, many times before if you've been in church for a long time. But tonight we're going to start at the beginning, go right back to basics and look at the steps of following Christ. Tonight I'm going to give you three words and if you've got a pen, write them down. If you don't have any paper, write them on your next door neighbour and say, can I take a photo of your wrist? No, maybe don't do that. <laughs> First word is the Christian life is a journey. Anyone not agree with that? If you don't agree with that, you haven't been a Christian for very long, let me tell you. The Christian life is a journey. It's likened to a race, but it's not a speed race. It's a journey where you do everything that you can. Now, if you go on a journey, how many people here have ever gone on a journey and run out of petrol? Jack, what are you doing driving? <laughs> or is that your dad? D- dad? Mum. Mum. <laughs> All right, now you wouldn't go on a journey and say, fuel's, fuel's, no, fuel's overrated, I'll just drive. Would you? Because somewhere along the road, you're going to come to a stop. And when I learned to fly an aeroplane many, many years ago, they said to me, 
the most important thing is to make sure you've got plenty of fuel in the plane. Because when you run out of petrol in a car, it rolls to a stop. When you run out of petrol at 5,000 feet, you better have very good aviation skills. So the journey, and I remember how excited I was when I first became a Christian. My mum led me to the Lord, I believe, I don't even remember it, when I was five, sitting on the back steps of our house in the Grange. So I grew up in church. So it wasn't like I suddenly found myself in a new environment. And man, we went everywhere. We went to missionary conferences. My dad was a lay preacher, so we'd always be following dad around preaching somewhere. So this, when I really encountered Christ when I was about 18, all of a sudden, the journey that I had been on took a whole new significance. Had I been on the journey? Absolutely. Did I understand the journey? Probably not. But as I reached adulthood and made that commitment to Christ, I planned a journey that would last for my whole life. I love the way the message paraphrases the words of the Apostle Peter. It says this, 1 Peter 1, 17 to 18. Your life is a journey that you must travel. Read it with me. With a deep consciousness of God, it cost God plenty to get you out of that dead-end, empty-headed life you grew up in. He paid with Christ's sacred blood, you know. It's pretty sobering, isn't it? When we met here Christmas morning, I said that God, when Jesus came to our earth, stood on the threshold of heaven and waved goodbye to his son Jesus, knowing that he was not just going to our world, but that he was going to die. And that's a pretty tough thing for a dad. We're not on a run-of-the-mill journey. It's an adventure. It's a journey. You never know what's going to happen. And since I've been a Christian, I'll tell you what, I've, I've been on a few journeys. If I said to you, ready? Let's go to India. What would you think? What's the first thing you think of when you think of India? Delhi belly, come on. Taj Mahal. Curry, very good. So if I said to you, let's go visit India, go to the Taj Mahal, ride trains over massive mountain ranges, take in the sights and the sounds and the colour of this fascinating country. Does that sound exotic? That sounds like a pretty good journey, doesn't it? That's a journey that Glenys and I took a couple of years ago. But then when you throw in the violent diarrhoea that I experienced for nine out of the 11 days I was in India, no toilets for miles because there are something like 300 million people in India that don't have access to a toilet. Terrible, crippling poverty. And I remember flying down from New Delhi down to a place down south where a group of pastors were going to a Bible college to teach and encourage graduating pastors as they went out. And they would send those pastors out 
This is what they would buy them, a push bike, a drum and a Bible. And they would send them out to pastor a church. That was it. I remember we got off the plane at about half past eight at night. And then the guy comes and he says, oh, we're going to drive the rest of the way. And we said, oh, how far is that? He said, oh, six hours. So we set off at like half past eight at night to drive six hours with the most violent diarrhoea I have ever had in my life. And let me tell you, every time we went round a corner, I was praying there was a servo there that I could stop and run into the toilet. You know how many servos there were? None. In fact, the blessing of all blessings is that we got a flat tyre. And when I knew that tyre was flat, I opened my door and I ran into the bush in the darkest of night. And as... I'm not going to tell you what I was doing. You can pretty well guess it. When I was in the bush, squatting down with no dignity whatsoever left or everything gone, all I could think of is where are those cobras that we saw the snake charmer? Where where are those cobras at? Because I'm in the middle of the bush, somewhere in the middle of India, with diarrhoea in the bush, praying that the cobras would go, not go near that bloke. But I want to tell you this. Every traveller has gone on a journey and experienced hardship of one kind or another and said, this doesn't look like the brochure. And let me tell you, Some of the experiences we had in India were not like the brochures of India you see at the travel agent. If you want to travel overseas, you need to be able to adapt to all kinds of situations. But you know, I see Christians sometimes making that same mistake. We often expect that the Christian life is going to be like an extended week of youth camp where you give your life to Jesus every night because maybe last night didn't work, just in case. And you get on fire for the Lord till the following Tuesday. You ever had this experience? And you come back and you're going to win the city for Christ and da-da-da-da-da. By about Tuesday, it's like down in this rut again. You see, what we've got to do, the Christian life is not a life where you hop from mountaintop to mountaintop. What's in between two mountaintops? The normal Christian life is to pray, read the Bible, share your faith, love others. And if you keep doing that, all of a sudden, your journey will look like this instead of it looking like this. And I couldn't stress too much. As we say tonight, get back to the basics. That's what it's all about. It's doing the spiritual disciplines that are the key to living the Christian life. The Bible never promises an easy life, but it does promise us a meaningful life. And that is why the Apostle Peter said this. First Peter, this is First Peter 4.12, guys. 
Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Did you know the Apostle Paul, who was possibly the greatest Christian other than Jesus, wrote most of his New Testament letters in a prison cell, undergoing unbelievable hardship in a prison cell. There are problems and difficulties that we all face. That's not strange at all. There are unexpected delays in our life. There are disappointments, there's heartbreak, and sometimes there's even danger to deal with. But listen to this, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Therefore, and I've got to tell you this, whenever you read therefore in the Bible, pay very close attention to what's after it. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I want to read that part of it again. For our light and momentary troubles. Have you ever thought about that? It's actually the troubles that we have in life that bring us an eternal glory that far outweighs all of them. So you know what we should be doing? We should actually be praying for troubles in our life. Sounds a bit counterintuitive, but that's, that's a pretty reasonable prayer. Because God never promises ever that the Christian life will be without trials and difficulties. What he promises is that the power of God, the Holy Spirit within us will give us everything we need to live incredible lives for God. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I took Elvis this morning to Yulula. Chelsea said, Dad, could you mind, because Glennis worked all night last night, so she was sleeping after a night shift. Chelsea said, could you take the king, this is what we call him, Elvis, um, to Yulula for an hour or so. And so we went there, and I'm still tired. Because <laughs> after two hours, he had swung and played on every swing in the whole park, and he would usually do one swing, slide down the side, Granddad, over there, let's go over there. We go over there, he swing. Granddad, let's go back over there, over here, over there, whatever. Wow. The only way that I could get Elvis out of the Yulula Lagoon after feeding the turtles and feeding the ducks with old mouldy bread, which he wanted to snack on all the time, and I said, no, I don't eat that, and he still did. The only way I could get him out is I said, listen, let's get back in the car and let's go and have a look at some motorbikes because he loves, loves motorbikes. Yeah. And so he's in the back in the seat, clipped in, and every time I saw a motorbike, I'd go, look, Elvis, quit, there's a motorbike over there. And then we'd go past him and he'd go, where, Granddad? Where? Where? And it was driving us both mad. But I thought to myself, isn't that just like the Christian life? So often, 
we see the blessings and the opportunities. And we're looking for them, but they're in the rear view mirror. Because they've already happened. Sometimes we don't even know about it. The back to basics principle is that we need to remember that God is in control even when life becomes difficulty. This is his journey that we're living. It is his itinerary. We're not planning it. He mapped it out for us before the foundation of the world. The second principle tonight is the Christian life is a race. Now, when I say something's a race, what do you think of? Drew, what do you think of when I say a race? A what? Start and finish line? Would you run a race in your boots? Actually, no, you probably would. (laughs) A race. Uncle Billy, what do you think of when you think of a race? Finish line to get a prize. Glennis, what do you think of? Training. Training. Wow, okay. When the Bible says the Christian life is a race, it's not describing a sprint. It's describing a marathon. And I want to show you our friend Sally. We've got the video clip, guys. Don't play it right away. Just bring it up. And our friend Sally... Whoa, whoa, stop. ...has run the Sydney Marathon, which is 42 kilometres, and she's also run the Sydney Half Marathon. And the other day, Sally was staying at our place, and she decided she'd run down to... Jess and Aaron's, they were all all walking down. So she thought she'd have a little bit of a run. Now, you tell me when we look at this video what's unusual about her running. That was Elvis making his comments. (laughs) Oh, James, that's wonderful. Nothing unusual for Maribor. I have never seen a proper runner run in thongs before, but that was pretty impressive, I thought. So, In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says this, Don't you realise that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? This is what Uncle Bill said. So, run to win. If you are in a race, why wouldn't you run to win? And then he said in 1 Corinthians 9.26, So I run with purpose in every step. You run with purpose. It's not just a joke. You're actually running to win. The Christian life is compared to a race because it is a life that demands our all. God expects us to go the distance. And I want you to think back now to your early days when you first become a Christian. What was your intention from the very beginning? Think back to that time when you gave your life to Christ. Were you thinking at the time, I know, we'll try this Christian stuff for a couple of weeks. See how it goes. If it turns out rubbish, we'll give it the flick. That wasn't what you were thinking when you first became a Christian. You weren't intending to quit when the going got tough. You weren't intending to do just a couple of laps around the track and see if it's as easy as you want it to be. 
No. When you surrendered your life to Jesus, Elsie, when you surrendered your life to Jesus, you did it and you were serious about it. And that is the attitude that we need to have today. You surrender your life to Christ. You are all in, not counting the cost. And you're saying, point me in the direction of the finish line and towards it I will run. Hebrews 12.1 says this, Let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Let us wear runners instead of thongs. No, no, it doesn't say that, does it? Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Wow. Have you ever reached a point in your life where you're thinking, I'm not doing so well in my faith in Jesus? Everything's gotten hard and it's like a dry gully I'm in. And then you've realised that there is some sin in your life that you're holding on to, that you don't want to let go. You know what it does? It's not rocket science to work out that unless you live the Christian life truly surrendered to Christ, then it won't work. You're not allowing the power of the Holy Spirit to lift you out of the mud if you are wanting to wallow in it at the same time. In 1912, there was a marathon runner called Shizo Kanakuri who was chosen to represent Japan in the Summer Olympics at Stockholm. Now, I don't respect any of you, expect any of you to remember the 1912 Summer Olympics at Stockholm. That was the year my dad was born. <laughs> Bernie, were you kicking around back then, were you, mate? <laughs> Listen to this. Shizo Kanakuri, if that's how you pronounce his name, began the race with the rest of the runners, but along the way, it got so hot that he stopped at a garden party for some refreshments. <laughs> Not exactly what you should do in a marathon. And he stayed a little bit too long, more than an hour. And I reckon that you're all thinking, I know what he did. He ran through the back of the restaurant and over and joined the pack. No. It was now he thought to himself, whoa, what have I done? No point going back into the race now. An hour has gone by. So he took a train to his hotel and he caught a, ba a boat back home too ashamed to tell anyone that he was actually leaving. He was so ashamed. For more than 50 years, Shizo was listed as a missing person in Sweden. For 50 years, everyone thought he just died somewhere or disappeared or was murdered. No one knew until a journalist finally found him and realised that he'd spent the last several decades living a quiet life in southern Japan where no one knew who he was. And in 1966, the Swedish public television called him with an offer. And they said, would you like to finish the run? 
Imagine that. By now, he was 85 years of age. And he travelled to Stockholm. He accepted and he travelled to Stockholm to finish the race that he had started so many years before. And when he finally crossed the finish line on Swedish public television, they recorded that he had crossed the finish line and his final time was 54 years, 8 months, 6 days, 8 hours, 32 minutes and 20.3 seconds. Because you better get it right. You see, our goal in the Christian life is not to merely start the race, but to finish well. This week, a friend of ours, Beverly McMurray, her mum, Anne, passed away. And she was a warrior of the faith. She was a Salvation Army officer. And what a woman. And some of the things that people wrote on the Facebook tribute were wonderful. But they were all about finishing the race, being still counted for Christ, and finishing well, and well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we're all running for tonight. Our goal is not merely to start the race, but to finish. And if you've lapsed a bit, hopefully not as long as she's owed, it's time to start running again. You know what I love about the Christian life? No matter how many times you stop, no matter how many times you fall over, God is saying, come on, up your head, dust you off, get, come on, keep going. The Apostle Paul said this in his farewell. This is in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. I consider my life worth nothing. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. He considered his life nothing. Do you know that Paul was one of the greatest Hebrew scholars? He was an academic. He was just one of the most revered Hebrew scholars of all time. Yet he would say, all of that's rubbish. All that really matters is running the race. Thirdly tonight, the Christian life, and I love this, is actually a walk. It doesn't matter how you finish the race. It matters that you keep on racing. This is probably the word most often used to describe our relationship with Christ. You hear people referring, pastors will always say, how is your Christian walk going? What they're saying How is your individual day-to-day relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ going? That's what we mean when we say, how is your Christian walk? What does the word walk tell us? It tells us that it's a daily process. There's nothing once in a while about it. It's not an on-again, off-again experience. It's a day-after-day process. Did you know that Put up your hand if you've ever walked. Anybody else is asleep or not listening? We've all walked, haven't we? We're all, you know, pretty good. 
There are many magazines dedicated to walking. I don't get that. Everyone can walk. Why would you have a glossy magazine about walking? There's one magazine about walking that very curiously is called Walking. And you'll be astonished to learn that I have never subscribed to a magazine on walking. Glennis is laughing. What's so hard about walking? My two-year-old grandson can walk. He doesn't even walk. He just runs everywhere like this. And I love in the morning, even when I'm sound asleep, I can hear his little feet coming along going, and then he stands at my door and he doesn't knock on the door. He yells out, knock, knock, granddad, knock, knock, granddad, I come in. And he comes in and he just walks everywhere. What's the big deal? In fact, I have become so skilled myself at walking that I can walk from my favourite spot on the lounge to the fridge without falling over once. (laughs) And you're all going, now that's my kind of walking. (laughs) Uh, Walking is such a basic process. You would think that all you need to know couldn't even fill up a pamphlet, let alone a glossy magazine. But if you're serious about walking... There's shoes and tracks and diets and stretches, exercises, dealing with injury, strategies and tips about how to not get eaten by a mountain lion if you're walking in California. Motivational ideas. Walking is a whole industry because there are people out there who take walking very seriously. So the question I want to ask you tonight How seriously are you taking your walk with Jesus? How well are you doing at getting rid of everything else in your life that would distract you from your walk with Jesus? You know what? It ain't easy. Is it possible? Absolutely. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the freedom that Christ's death on the cross has given each one of us, we can overcome sin. We can know what it's like to live with one foot in this world and one foot in eternity. You are living in eternity now. Eternity doesn't start when you die. You are an eternal being right now. The question is, Where are you planning to journey to at the end of the race? Galatians 5.25 says this. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. It doesn't say run in the Spirit, does it? Walk. Just keep walking. What does a kid do when they fall over after they've cried for mum for half an hour and mum didn't come? When no one's around to pick them up, they usually just like get up and keep going, don't they? The back-to-back principle. 
is that the Christian life is a daily event. It's not jumping from one conference to the next conference. It's waking up, reading your Bible, praying, and getting to know Christ better. There's a wonderful, wonderful program by a guy called Nathan Finocchio, called, not Pinocchio, Finocchio, and he is the teaching pastor at Hillsong, New York. And he's got a program called Theos University. It's about 15 bucks a month to subscribe. And you can do any course you like that they've got there. It's really fantastic. And um, so Glennis and I subscribe to it. And uh, I couldn't recommend it too highly for people. If you need any detail, come and ask the bride. <laughs> this is what the prophet Micah said. And you might wonder where I first saw this verse. Would it surprise you to learn that when Glennis was having an operation in Brisbane at a Catholic hospital, they had that in massive letters up on the wall. And I remember being moved to tears when I read that. Maybe I was feeling emotional because Glennis was having an operation or whatever. But when I saw that in a Catholic hospital, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. Number one, to do what is right. In other versions, it says to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Isn't that fantastic? There it is. There's the Christian life right there. One verse in the Old Testament. And now we're coming in for a landing. This is the primary reason why the early days of our Christian life were so fulfilling because our relationship with Jesus then was not a hobby or an activity to squeeze in on the weekend. It was an all-day, everyday lifestyle just like it should be. We were eager to learn all we could about it. Bernie knows more about the Bible. He's probably forgotten more about the Bible than most people know. But he's made a study of it, of God's word over a very long period of time. In conclusion, I've saved the key verse of tonight's message for these final moments. It's from the prophet Isaiah, written about 672 years before Jesus was even born. And it says this, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on, e on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. See, right back, 672 years before Jesus was even born, the prophet Isaiah laid out the normal Christian life in that verse. They will soar high because their adventure has begun. We soar like eagles. They run and don't grow weary. That's the race that we've set out to win. They will walk and not faint. That's the day-to-day -day lifestyle that we need to pursue. How do we get there? Real simple. Those who rely on the Lord will find new strength 
So tonight, if you want to pick up where your best days left off, if you want to get back to the basics of what matters most, if you want your life to be what you know in your heart that it can be, then put your trust, put your hope, and put your heart where it belongs. And that's in Christ alone. Yep. Uh, no, because we're oh, the singers are just coming up. So, yeah. T- tell me after. Okay. Father, we thank you tonight that for all of our failures and for all of our mistakes, that you offer us open hands and an open heart. Father, tonight I just pray that for each one gathered here, that you would help us to be humble enough to surrender ourselves to you. And Lord, tonight we just pray that you would just, for each one of us, draw us back to yourself. For we pray it in Jesus' name.